This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. So if we see uh, the Norwood procedure or, or Norwood type procedures, uh, they are increasingly now being promoted as a standard of care uh, for children with single ventricle lesions, hypoplastic left heart syndrome, or, or other related uh, single ventricle circulations, the hypoplastic uh, left heart syndrome variants. In Melbourne, um, only about 5% of the children are not offered surgery. So the ones they come to ICU there, 5% are not offered surgery, roughly. And even in this 5%, if you look at it, most of the time the reasons for not being offered surgery is not, not entirely the cardiac anatomy. It's usually something extra cardiac, whether it's a genetic syndrome or genetic associ association, or whether the children have organ involvement, or if they've had a poor pre-op state. So it's usually not a cardiac reason why they're not offered surgery there. The procedure, as we know, involves multiple uh, staged operations, usually within the first four to five years of life. And we know that there's long-term morbidity, particularly neuromorbidity. However, survival has greatly improved. So if we see this uh, graph, these are results from uh, Melbourne over the last 30 years. The 30-day survival has steadily gone up, and it's close to 95, 96% now. And importantly, the one-year survival as well, it's close to 80% now in the last few years. And also, if you see the survival into adulthood, currently it's around 65 to 70% of these children reach uh, adulthood. So what are the consequences of this? I think um, one of the consequences of uh, improved survival is more children undergoing surgical treatment and surviving longer. And I think in the future, as more and more children will be um, getting surgical treatment for uh, single ventricle lesions. So this has big implications for resource utilization. And there's very limited information in the literature as to how um, and what the resource requirement for these children are. I think there could be a number of reasons for that, particularly uh, because of the very complex nature of the treatment and long-term treatments, it's quite difficult to get accurate estimates. But if we see this uh, report from uh, the United States a few years ago, um, published in the Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Review from the Centers for Disease Control. So they analyzed um, about 35 most common birth defects to uh, look at resource utilization. So this is, uh, the analysis was conducted from uh, information in a very large uh, database which supplied, uh, which had information from about 36 states. Um, so a very large database. And what it came up as Norwood procedure was the highest was the one which came with the highest um, uh, cost and was also associated with the third longest uh, length of stay after gastroschisis and omphalocele. Uh, and similarly, another paper uh, more recently involving multiple centers in the US where they uh, analyzed the resource utilization for the, for the three stage procedures alone. We're not talking about the other things which happen in between, outpatient visits and other things. For the three-stage procedures alone, the cost was about 250,000 US dollars. But what they also went on to say, these authors, is when, when they compared this cost with a number of other high-cost interventions or, or diagnosis, they're not a lot different. If you see a premature infant at 25 weeks, it's close to about 200,000. 
and the risk of neurodevelopmental morbidity exists there as well. And if you see someone who has been supported with a ventricular device implantation, it's about, it can go anywhere up to 600,000. So what they concluded was, although the cost associated with surgical management for hyperplastic left heart syndrome is considerable, it's comparable to uh, major other congenital malformations and interventions. So we recently looked up here at Children's Hospital, um, the resource utilization, uh, what's happening here in Melbourne, over a seven year period, uh, till 2011, uh, during which time we had about 121 infants undergoing um, novel type procedures. Um, we decided we'll look into the resource utilization in just in the first year of life alone, mainly because that's where most of the action happens, most of the morbidity and length of stay is high in the first year alone. Uh, so several uh, perioperative variables were analyzed to uh, look at associations with cost and length of stay. So on an average, in Melbourne, in the first year of life, uh, these kids had about three ICU admissions, but close to 25% required at least four. Uh, there have been few kids who have needed five or six admissions in the first year of life. The mean ICU length of stay is about 28 days, median being 17. Uh, and the mean hospital stay in the first year of life is 66 days, uh, the median being 55. And 20% of these infants stayed in the hospital for more than 100 days in the first year. So 30% of them had required ECMO. Uh, and the mean duration being six days, around five to five to six days. So if we put everything, all, all these things together, so it sort of comes up to around 9% of the ICU days per year utilized by a newly diagnosed neonate with a single ventricular lesion. So which is around, roughly around 17 patients a year, newly diagnosed patients utilizing 9% of the bed days per year. So if we look at the inpatient costs, I've divided them into two time periods. The first time period, 83 till 2004, which is previously reported, and the most recent time period. These average costs are calculated based on the length of stay, number of admissions, both in ICU and, and in the hospital, and also the use of uh, ECMO. So sort of roughly averages around about 280,000 currently in Melbourne. And more importantly, if we see what the cost is per life saved, in the previous time period, it was about 625,000, and now it's 370. Uh, that difference is, uh, the numbers are still high, but the difference, I think, is mainly because the survival has improved recently. So now, we, if we see costs associated with ECLS, same time periods, it's 249, and then 240 more recently, if the patient did not need ECLS, and if it is with ECLS, it's about 270, and now it's quite high. It's about 365. That's probably because more children are being supported with ECLS now than in the previous time period. So, so what I've said so far, I think you can take it. It's, it's roughly around 280,000. It's a cost for a child in Melbourne. But these measures which I've put in there, I think they're conservative because they're based on hospital length of stay or ICU length of stay and ECMO. There are a number of other costs involved, lifelong patient, hot patient visits, medications, imaging catheterizations, and there's a small proportion of these kids towards and will need cardiac transplantations, and those costs are not factored there. And accurate costing will need an activity-based costing, which should be prospective, which should uh, include everything and should follow a chart with time and look into everything. So this cost, I think, is conservative, and my estimate is it's going to be probably around 10 to 15 percent higher than, higher than this amount. And what's also more important is 
the way we do the costs. We also have to look into factor into things like not just long-term survival, uh, long-term neuromorbidity will also have to be factored into the cost, which I haven't uh, accounted here. So these are recent published studies looking into costs or resource use. Uh, is one from Norway, uh, is one from Australia, two from US, and the last one is the one which I just quoted now. If we see, I think they're more or less sort of the same. They're quoted in US dollars or Australian dollars. The one from Norway is the only prospective study, but just, it, it just involved only seven patients, and they came up with a cost of about 139000 per patient, which is sort of much lower than the other studies in US and in Australia, which all have bigger numbers. So the study by Professor Tibbles in 2007, uh, which had 129 patients, he came up with a cost of over 250000 per each patient. So that had 129 patients, and the much bigger study from US, which had several centers, had about 1,900 patients. And if you see the cost for the three-staged repairs, it's about 375. And if you do it as a cost associated with primary neonatal transplantation, which is not uh, available in Australia, it's about 580, so much higher, probably because these kids uh, stay in hospital for a very long time after transplant. And the rescue transplantation is about 400,000. And the last study, again, is a retrospective study, which uh, fairly big numbers, 245. came to around close to 300,000. And in Melbourne, in the first year of life alone, now it sort of approximates to about 280,000. Now, if you look at what are the factors associated with prolonged ICU stay, because that sort of reflects the cost. Uh, If you look in Melbourne cohort, so the prolonged ICU stay here, I've defined as a cutoff as a median ICU length of stay, which is about 17 days in the first year of life. Birth weight is one, early reoperation, with the odds of about 8.4 in ECMO, the odds of about 3, which, which is not a surprise. We can we know that. I think what is particularly important and much bigger issue is the small cohort of patients who stay for longer periods of time. It's actually not a small cohort. It's about 20% of the ICU patients or 20% of the Norwood patients stay in ICU for about 28 days or more after Norwood. They account for about 16% of all long-stay admissions in Melbourne. And if you look at all long-stay patients in Australia and New Zealand, it's about 6%. And if we look at the costs for these patients, I've divided them into long-stay and non-long-stay. We would expect the cost to be high, but I think what's important is if we see the 280,000 and if we see these two costs, we can see where most of the cost is coming from, uh, from this 20% of the patients, which just means it would also be nice to see what the outcome of these patients are. So children who stayed in ICU for 28 days or more, if they've had a single ventricle repair and they needed ICU stay for 28 days, or if they've had a biventricle or full repair, and if they stayed in ICU for 28 days, this is how the survival uh, looks like. By one year, if it is a single ventricle repair, you have a 46% survival, and there's further attrition, and by five years, you sort of go down to uh, about 38%. If it's a sort of full uh, repair, this is kids who uh, don't have a single ventricle physiology, it's about 67% and it stays fairly constant. So, so it's a high, very high mortality in this small group of patients. So I haven't talked much about other costs, but there are other costs involved as well in these kids. Most of the studies talk about the stage operations and hospitalizations. I think what's also more important is the emotional cost and the psychological experience of the families. You can't put a dollar cost to it. Recently, Annie, a few uh, publications up there, but this is one from uh, Melbourne. Recently, Annie sort of followed up a number of families, about 29 uh, parents from 16 infants. Uh, she went home and interviewed them. The median of the age of the children at that time was about four years. And about 83% of these parents have, at some stage, experienced traumatic stress. 
but most of them get over it and most of them um, improve with time. Most of them have had financial problems, particularly with relocation, particularly with the long admissions during the initial stay, at least six months in hospital. And most of them uh, need ongoing medical needs. Mothers said most of the mothers were not able to go to work. But with time, most of them were able to come back. 34% started showing adaptation quite early on. But with time, most of them were back. And he tells me that none of them said that they would not go back and do this again. Um, so in conclusion, I think um, it's sort of fairly clear treatment is fairly expensive, particularly in the first year. However, survival has greatly improved in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, high resources uh, due to a combination of uh, many things. I've listed a few here, multiple operations, need for ECMO, morbidity, and lifelong follow-up. Um, as outcomes improve, which it is, I think cost will rise, but with, with time that will settle down, stabilize, and then I think it will settle down as the outcomes improve. Um, I think there are a few areas where sort of more work needs to be done. One is particularly the long-stay patients with single ventricle reconstruction, which is a particularly difficult, difficult group. In that I, I don't know even if you find anything predictive as to who is going to stay long. I'm not sure what we can do really about it. It's quite a difficult population, but I think we need to know and learn more, more about these groups. And uh, I think more work also needs to be done with the families. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org.